Chapter Three of Campfire Girls in the Country by Stella M. Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Aunt Hannah's Loss. But the villain did not have everything his own way. After the resounding slap administered on the face of the smaller man, there followed a sparring match that proved to be the biggest thriller of the day's celebrations. It all happened so quickly that before a crowd could gather closely enough to hamper their movements, the two men were staging a mill the like of which for speed had probably never been witnessed in that town before. The little fellow made one savage leap at his antagonist in return for the latter's resounding salute on the face, and from that moment until the fight was finished, his feet seemed scarcely to touch the ground. He appeared to be able to hit his opponent wherever and whenever he pleased. He was plainly a master of the art of springing, ducking, sidestepping, lunging. The crowd, observing that here was a rare exhibition of great skill, opposed to vast superiority of weight and strength, kept back at a respectful distance in order that the smaller man might have free play. But thousands of men, women, and children on the square, however, pressed forward to witness so unusual a scene, forming a dense circular wall of sightseers. On the inner rim of this circle stood Aunt Hannah, Miss Ladd, and the thirteen members of Flamingo Campfire. For fifteen minutes the pugilistic performance continued, the larger man being the aggressor most of the time, but receiving all of the punishment. If any of the policemen who had stopped the first fight returned to the scene of this engagement, no attempt was made to interfere. The skill and speed of the little fellow seemed to create a popular demand that so novel a contest be permitted to go to a finish. Possibly the guardians of the peace realized the overwhelming sentiment in favor of a sportsman's fair play and discreetly kept the strong hand of the law in their pocket. The big fighter swung viciously, desperately, again and again at his clever little foe, but in vain. The latter brought cheer upon cheer from the throng by cleverly dodging all these attacks and answering them with such agility of foot, body, and handwork that a skilled referee would have had difficulty in estimating the number of successful blows he succeeded in landing. Once the bantam fighter dodged right between the legs of his enraged antagonist and upset him to the almost insane delight of the crowd. This seemed to be the turning point of the mill. The thoroughly whipped bully evidently had had all he wanted and was looking for some means of getting away from his physical and moral embarrassment. While he was thus casting about for an avenue of escape, the spry little scrapper was dancing all around him and raining blows almost wherever he pleased, while the big victim shielded his head with his arms, and the crowd fairly howled with delight. Suddenly the defeated fighter broke away and ran, his punisher pursuing close at his heels. As a sprinter, the winner of the bout proved also to be the superior of his late antagonist. The latter lumbered away like a groggy longshoreman, Suddenly the vanquisher of superior weight and muscle made a spring like that of a wild beast and landed on the back of the fugitive. The latter staggered, stumbled, almost fell, then began running around in a wabbly circle, 
while the onlookers pressed back, eager to give way for a continuation of the exhibition as long as possible. Finally, the affair reached a climax when the jockey scrapper shinned up the back of his victim and stood erect for perhaps a minute, while the human horse struggled, staggered, and actually groaned in distress, and the crowd screamed itself hoarse. The scene was closed when the hero victor leaped lightly from the shoulders of the exhausted bully and refrained from making further attack. The defeated man slunk away in the crowd, while his conqueror, with an affectation of modesty, also managed to slip away and was seen no more by the hundreds of curious citizens and hero-worshippers, who longed for just one glimpse of this human wildcat when not in action. The members of Flamingo Fire fairly held their breath during much of the performance. So tense was their excitement, as quite naturally it should be, that each of them was scarcely conscious of anything else, in action or being, other than this sensational affair. They were all waked up, finally, by this exclamatory remark from Mrs. Hutchins. Well, followed by a pause for the exhaling of a long pent-up breath, that's the nearest I ever came to seeing a prize fight, and I hope I never come any nearer. I bet that was a part of the day's entertainment, declared one of the wise whites of the town who was standing near. Nobody can tell me such a thing as that could take place without being staged ahead. They wouldn't dare, Aunt Hannah returned positively. The town wouldn't stand for such a disgraceful put-over as that was. You can't tell what the town will stand for until it's put to the test, retorted the keen-headed individual. It seems to me that everybody was pretty much delighted over the affair, judging from the enthusiastic noise they made. Aunt Hannah, where's your handbag? Hazel asked suddenly. Mrs. Hutchins looked down at her hands and then up again in astonishment at her niece. "'Why!' she exclaimed. "'Where is it? I had it in my hand!' Then she began an examination of the lawn near where she stood. "'And my pocketbook's gone!' exclaimed Ernestine Johansen after a search in the pocket of her midi blouse. "'Mine's gone, too!' was the startling announcement of Violet Monday. Then Ethel Zimmerman capped the climax of sensations by declaring, "'Somebody has taken my diamond lavalier!' "'There are pickpockets in the crowd!' screamed a woman a short distance away, who had discovered her handbag wide open and the money section emptied of its contents. Presently another woman picked up Mrs. Hutchins' handbag and identified it by a name card inside. She turned it over to its owner, who announced after examining it, There was fifteen dollars in it, and it's gone. Then suddenly she began a nervous, hurried search in the handbag, as if moved by the recollection of something vastly more important than the missing fifteen dollars. The look of despair that came over her face as she took out the last remaining article was sufficient evidence that her search was unsuccessful. With a gasp, she seized her niece's arm for support, exclaiming, "'Oh, Hazel, it's gone, it's gone. What will I ever do? Oh, I must find it, I must find it, I must find it!' 
End of chapter 3